today on the Dominic Enyart Show, everyone agrees that social media is unhealthy, but today we're looking a bit more at the problems it causes for young children, specifically the new trend teaching children that they have multiple personality disorder. We'll also be taking a look at a new bombshell study debunking the chemical imbalance depression theory. All of that and more right here on the Dominic Enyart Show. Greetings to the brightest audience in the country and welcome to the Dominic Enyart Show. I hope you guys are having a fantastic Wednesday. There is universal agreement that social media is bad for our mental health, especially for children who grow up using it from the time they're very young. The average age of kids getting on social media, it's, it's lowering and lowering. Uh, you know, friendship circles, they end up turning into popularity contests. And in popularity contests, inevitably, there are winners and losers. That is the sad reality. And the losers, they will have self-confidence issues, right? If they only got 50 likes on a post when their friend got 300 likes, are they ugly? Are they unlikable? Are they boring? And this is a double-edged sword because while the losers often have self-confidence issues, the quote-unquote winners will have their egos puffed up with something and they'll have it puffed up with something that no one really cares anything about. And social media, which lacks anything of substance or meaning, has become a gauge which kids use to measure their own worth. And... All of that is pretty intuitive and obvious to anyone who's been paying attention for the last, I don't know, five years or so. But that said, we are only scratching the surface of the damage. That that analysis is only scratching the surface of the damage which social media has wrought. And the algorithms on these social media platforms, they are re they're truly remarkable. They're not they're not nothing. They are remarkable and they are incredible. And people don't have a full understanding of just how powerful these algorithms are. And they understand you, they know you often better than you know yourself. And then because they know you so well, they show you what you enjoy and you become addicted. And a sad reality of human nature is that we are more interested in problems than we are solutions. That's just a sad reality of human nature. And news stories of disasters and tragedies, they always get way more views and clicks than the local story of a hero saving some kids from a fire. It's like a train wreck. You just can't look away. And this has two severe downsides. One, we become jaded by the world and only seeing the bad without ever seeing the good. It's confirmation bias. But two, which is significantly more severe, young people understand these algorithms. And social media being a popularity contest, people want to harness the algorithms to get more views. 
And this leads me to videos, videos of people crying. And if you're on social media, you know that you can't scroll for five minutes without inevitably seeing a video of someone bawling their eyes out for one reason or another. And it's usually rather pathetic, not to put too fine a point on it. And that's because the people posting these videos, they're posting videos of themselves crying on social media because they know they will perform very well because the algorithm rewards train wreck type content. And so people like to post these videos of themselves crying. And if you're a sane person, you might think, don't you know that you don't have to post that video of you crying? You're not live. You can just you can you can film the video again. That's allowed. You can fill, film it again. You can stop crying, clean yourself up and film this video again. And then you can post that. That way it's not so embarrassing. That's that's allowed. There's no rules against doing that. But you are forgetting that you use basic human interaction as the gauge of your life to understand whether or not you should do something. You understand it's embarrassing. It's a moray, right? There are three levels of social dysfunction. There are faux pas, which are minor social oddities and discomforts, you know, not picking up on social cues, texting someone too much, trying to make a conversation with someone who's obviously busy. Things like that are faux pas. And then there are mores, which are being rude. I was at dinner the other day with the family and one of the kids committed a more. He asked everyone at the table to give him a compliment, which is more acceptable coming from a child. And you learn these social rules as you grow up. But imagine a fully grown man, an adult at dinner, and imagine he were to ask everyone at the table. He would say, well, let's go around the table and everyone compliment me. That'd be, that'd be pretty awkward. It'd be a more. And then there are taboos and things like incest or cannibalism. Those are severe levels of social dysfunction. Those are taboos. And taboos are usually right on the line between crime and, and being illegal and illegal, but regardless, they're always seen as socially abhorrent, right? Cannibalism is seen as socially abhorrent. And my brother and I did a show right after our father passed about taboos and the value of taboos and why we shouldn't break down taboos, but why taboo is healthy for society. It is good that there are things that are off limits and that are unacceptable, socially speaking, and we need to have these taboos. They're good for society. And if you are curious to hear that show, I will link to it on today's show summary at kgov.com, kgov.com. But regardless, those are the levels of social dysfunction, and those tend to be things that you most likely pay attention to. And if you think something is a faux pas or a taboo or a more, you try to avoid it. And that is the gauge which normal functional people tend to pay attention to. But if you're if you are, say, a younger gal and you're trying to harness social media to get as many likes as possible, you may just end up posting a video of yourself bawling your eyes out because I don't know, your boyfriend broke up with you or, or whatever it is. And that's that's right on the line between a taboo and a moray. 
And I often think just that. I said, I think, why don't you just stop crying, clean yourself up, and film the video again, or just not, or just not film it at all, right? That's that's allowed. You don't have to post a video. But I have to remember, if you are consumed by social media, like how so many people are today. If you're consumed by social media and that's where you get your sense of self-worth, you want to get that shot of yourself crying because it will perform well. And the social oddities are no longer the gauge of whether or not you should do something. It's the views and it's the likes. If you remember that saying from a few years back, there was that real popular saying, do it for the vine, the vine. And Vine was a social media app where you would post little short videos and people would say, do it for the Vine. And it essentially meant you should do horrifically embarrassing, uncomfortable, and socially unacceptable things to get more views and likes on your videos. And so what does that get us? Well, we get feeds of people posting the most cringe videos of themselves crying over the dumbest things. And there's that classic, you know, the people crying and screaming at their phone in their car videos. Those have become a pretty popular genre. And as my brother Michael and I discussed, that's a very harmful for society because we become desensitized to these taboos and these mores. And to quote NF, the mind is a powerful place and what you feed it can affect you in a powerful way. And then these kids being raised and seeing their peers gaining social approval, it's feeding their mind. They're seeing their peers being approved for weeping in full view of the public. And they start to think that's normal and they start to think that's acceptable when it's not. And now you might have fallen prey to a defense of this behavior that, oh, people online crying, it's a good thing because now people are more open and people can feel comfortable coming out with their problems and seeking help. And now this is wrong for two main reasons. One, the public is not where you want to go to seek help for your deep spiritual problems. Typically, you want to go to a trusted advisor or counselor or leader, say a pastor, maybe a good friend. And you typically don't want to feel safe talking about your big problems to the general public. Because generally, the public, they are a bunch of people who are not very smart. And generally, they don't care too much about you. So they are not the best people to go to for help. Not to mention, you should feel relatively uncomfortable sharing your problems, right? You don't want to hide your sin. That's wrong. But with your problems, after all, they are problems and you generally shouldn't be proud of and advertise your problems. You shouldn't generally complain and you shouldn't generally vomit all of your problems onto random people. But the more substantive reason, reason number two, Making people feel comfortable asking for help isn't the main thing that comes out of this behavior, posting videos of yourself crying. That's not the main result of posting all these embarrassing videos. The main thing that ends up happening is it becomes trendy to have problems. You get that? It becomes trendy to have massive problems with yourself. And it's not just self-confidence issues, right? If if self-confidence issues was the most of our problems, we'd be uh, we, we'd be fine. But that's not the most of our problems. We see 
mental illness has spread quite literally via social media. It has become trendy to have depression. It has become trendy to have anxiety. And people brag about and they post about their depression and their anxiety, and it becomes trendy. And if you think I'm overstating my case, I'm going to have to turn us over to the infamous TikTok. And TikTok is massive and it causes a real problem in this area because out of all the big social media platforms, right? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all those, TikTok influences young people more than any other platform. With 1 billion users globally, 25% of their user base is composed of kids aged 10 to 19. And TikTok is having an unprecedented impact on young children. 10 years old, 10 year olds make up a significant portion of TikTok's user base. And I'm saying mental illness is becoming trendy. It doesn't take too long on TikTok to find videos of mental illness going viral. Let's take a look at a new phenomenon that's uh, common now, it's trendy now, alters. And that word alter, it's, it's short for alternate and it's a growing trend of kids from as young as 10 years old to college kids claiming they have multiple personality disorder, also known as DID, Dissociative Identity Disorder. And with this, kids will claim to have a variety of different people living within themselves. If you've ever seen the movie Inside Out, you'd get a similar feel. There are multiple people all living inside the mind of one of these kids, of these kids and each different person inside the mind is an altar and each different person gets to take a turn at the wheel controlling the body of the person and this is this is what you get this is the insanity that you get from the they them pronouns but regardless all of the different alters they have different roles some alters are good at making breakfast others are better at being in social settings others enjoy reading books and You'll notice as you watch these people who claim to have alters that none of these alters are sane or normal people. They're all they're all crazy alters, these different personalities. None of the personalities are normal. They're all weird. They have something weird about them. And I actually I want to take a look at a few of these videos. These are all short here, all of which have tens of thousands to millions of likes and views. And these are all trendy and get they get a significant amount of attention, but not just attention from the web at general. They get a lot of attention from young, impressionable children. And I want to start with this one. This is an interview with someone explaining all of their alters. Let's go ahead and let's let's pull this up and let's hear this. Do each alters have names? They all have names, ages, and literally the personalities. How do they end up receiving names? Oh, they tell me their names. And I have no idea where they come up with some of them. One <laughs> of my alters' name is Freedom. Freedom? That's, yes. Do Does that alter represent Freedom in any way? I mean, she, her first name was Pain, and then she switched it to Freedom. Oh, okay. Yeah. A very literal uh, yes, naming so system. Yes, so it was for her. So yes. some of my, my protector's name is Brad. Oh, okay. Like, just <laughs> a very, very, yeah, no. Name not like, protector, <laughs> but name is Brad. Yes. 
And notice how the interviewer, he's not questioning this. He's just assuming it's all true and taking it for granted. Oh, 100% this is real. And I'll, I'll note the comments under these. They aren't skeptical at all. They're all very positive, curious, and interested. Just assuming it's true, not even questioning it. And these so-called alters will disassociate randomly throughout the day. That's what these people say. And the person with alters... And I, I need to say, whenever I say alters, I'm using air quotes there. Conveniently, here's one person who, is, who we get to see a disassociation mid-interview. And it switches. Uh, she, she claims that she's or she's acting as if she's switching over to her childlike alter. And her childlike alter's name was withheld for privacy concerns. Uh, which is, <laughs> it's just funny to me. Then luckily the child alter decides to continue with the interview because the child alter could have, you know, decided, you know, I don't want to be interviewed right now. I'm kind of shy. But luckily the child alter decided to continue and that has nothing to do with wanting attention, thankfully. And the interviewer completely changes and acts genuinely like he's talking to a child. And this lady in this interview, she looks like she's, I don't know, 24 years old. And let's play this second clip and let's boost let's boost the audio a little bit when we play this because the childlike alter, and that's with air quotes, alter. The childlike alter is very quiet, so we might have to boost the audio a little bit. But let's go ahead and let's pull this up and play this. I'm curious to hear this. All right. Like, I'm dissociating now and... Yeah. The camera slowly zooms in on her face here. She's being like a little kid. Take your time. Let me know whenever you're ready. All right, now get ready for the theatrical transition noise. I wanted to answer the question. You can answer it. Oh, no. Let me know when you want me to ask There's it again There's somebody else you. here. I'm sorry. Oh, no problem. By somebody else, she means herself. <laughs> Hi. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good. You good? Yeah. Do you want me to set you up with a question again? Do you want to answer this? I don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. Do you want me to explain to you what's going on? We're in the middle of an interview about DID. We have DID. Yes, you do. Yeah. And that's what you're here to talk about. Yeah. And so you notice, you notice that theatrical, that sound clip of the and it's like oh it changed and if you're watching the video the the screen it shutters for a little bit and that's when she changed to her alter IED and it does show that so much of this is it's for show it's theatrics and I'll note the comments under these they aren't at all skeptical they're all very supportive curious and interested and you scroll for a while and you won't see a single person questioning this and if you do look around for long enough, you might find one or two people here or there who uh, who are skeptical and saying, oh, this can't be real. And those people, they're all ostracized and criticized ruthlessly. And actually, I want to get to one last video of someone talking about all of her different alters and all of her different alters names. And now, OK, let's go ahead and let's hear this. 
So people have asked if we say a little bit about some of the alters, so I'll go over a couple of them. So this is me, Zara, um, I'm 18, and I'm kind of the one that does most of the life responsibilities at the moment. This is Serena, she age slides from like 13 to 17. I'd say she's a bit more outgoing than a lot of parts, um, but she's only in the last year come to like accept that we have DID. This is Leah, she is 14. Um, and her eating disorder is extremely bad. Uh, I Honestly, it's just all she talks about, so I really don't know that much about her apart from that. This is Chloe. She is four, and she is one of the younger parts that are out a lot, and she is very attached to our therapist. And this is Timmy. She's 19, and she is very blunt and comes off quite angry, but it's just because she's very, very protective. So we have Zara, Serena, Leah, Chloe, and Tammy, all accompanied with different pictures of each of them. All of these pictures, I'll note, by the way, are of the same person. It's not like they're different. It's the same person, and it's just showing different pictures and being like, oh, this is oh, my different alters. And I'll note that all of these alters have something wrong with them. They all seem to have age disorders where they think they're different ages. And one of them, one of the age disorder alters, and I'm saying alters with air quotes, I can't emphasize that enough. One of the aging, uh, one of the alters with aging disorders, uh, the picture that she chose was her on a, a slide, like a little kid slide. And it's so clear and obvious that she just went to the local park to get a, a picture to, to make this. And it's... It, it is embarrassing, but they all, they, all, they all have age disorders, attachment issues, eating disorders, anger issues, and it has now become trendy to have a mental disorder where you have different personalities, but that's not enough on its own. No, that's not enough. Now, the different personalities, the different people inside of you that they pretend to have, those people themselves have disorders of their own. And, you know, it's only a matter of time. Maybe I should stop talking or I'm going to give them ideas. It's only going to be a matter of time before one of these alters has different alters in and of that alters self and it will be a it'll be a whole inception of alters and it, it is really sad by scrolling through these tiktoks of the younger generation you would assume that it's every other person that has these alters with multiple personality disorders everyone and their mom has alters when in reality, multiple personality disorder, it's extremely rare. Only about 0.05% of the population actually has this disorder. And though I'm guessing that that 0.05% is a, is a high estimate, that's my, my guess. And those who actually have it, it's not like this fluid Hollywood-esque idea of having a bunch of people inside you that switch between and it's this really obvious switch. It's not like that. It's not this cartoonish portrayal of reality. And in reality, what this is with a lot of these people, well, first of all, it's a form of a diversion, right? There's that one scene from that sitcom where the dude, he's driving his car away from work after he gets fired, and he takes the car window off of one of his co-workers' cars because he's you know angry and he drives out real fast. And he, he takes off the window of one of his co-workers, and then a year later, he gets his job back, and it comes out that that was him who broke the car window. And so his, his co-worker says, like, oh, that was you? Can, you. can you pay for that? And the guy who took off the window, he says, oh... 
oh, that was that was the old me. That was me 1.0. And I I can't take responsibility and go back and fix everything that 1.0 me did. This right now, what who you're saying, this is the new me. And it's the me 2.0. And I will take responsibility for everything that the new me does. But the old me is gone. And I can't take responsibility for that guy. And it's obvious. It's just so immature. And that's exactly what we're seeing with that last video that we played. Uh, her last alter was, uh, uh, let's see, Tammy. And Tammy was the one who was always rude. And so Tammy is responsible for all of her problems. And if someone confronts her for being a jerk about something, I'd bet my bottom dollar she'll say, oh, you can't blame that on me. You can't blame me for that. That was Tammy's fault. And I take responsibility for everything I do. But <laughs> you can't expect me to take responsibility for Tammy, can you? Those are Tammy's actions, not mine. But in reality, more than just a form of diversion, this is mainly a lack of personality. These people, they think to themselves that they are so boring and uninteresting and they're not going to do well on social media. So they need to come up with something interesting and quirky and something that could get more attention. And what could be more interesting and quirky than having multiple personality disorder. And hey, of course, uh, this is real because look at the other people on TikTok who all have this. And their authenticity is never questioned. Skepticism is never shown. So hey, I feel pretty safe about saying this about myself. I, I feel pretty safe saying I have multiple personality disorder. And this so-called mental illness, with air quotes, it has grown dramatically. And why is that? Why, that it, why has it grown? It's grown because it's trendy. It's literally popular to have a world-crushing, completely debilitating disorder. In preparing for this show, I saw videos of people decorating and getting into fights with their so-called alters because they couldn't agree on what decorations look better. Imagine how world-crushing it would be if that were actually real. Imagine if it were real, this person would have to be institutionalized for their own protection, right? Imagine two altars, a lazy altar and a hard-working altar, though I doubt there's ever been a hard-working altar, fighting for control over the steering wheel on the way to work. And you can bet if it were real, they would have to be institutionalized. And if they were ever threatened with, institution, with being institutionalized, They'd lose every and losing everything they'd have, they would drop the act real fast. I bet you they would drop the act real fast. And, you know, the other uh, uh, other TikTokers, uh, I'm not a TikToker, I shouldn't say other TikTokers. TikTokers are afraid to say it. And I'm not afraid to say it. This is fake. Alters are not real, it's all an act, and you look insane. And, well, they want to look insane. You look like a fool. That's what you look like. You look like fools, and you are spreading this and rubbing this off onto impressionable children. And so not just is it foolish, but it is sinful as your actions, they're being seen by others, and they're rubbing off on others. And you do have a responsibility to conduct yourself appropriately and conduct yourself with wisdom and you aren't you're conducting yourselves poorly and pretending to be insane which is 
it, it is slowly causing you to actually become insane, but it's also causing others to be insane. So I don't have, I don't have too much empathy for people like this because of what they're doing to themselves and to others, to young impressionable children. And this all comes from a lack of identity. Luckily, as a Christian, I don't need to worry about making a fool out of myself by pretending to have a mental disorder. I find my identity in Christ, and so I don't need to rely on such a bizarre crutch. And of course, people will respond to me saying that I'm being a jerk, I'm being insensitive, and I'm erasing people. That's that's what you hear all the time. I'm erasing people, which is nonsense, but that's what they'll say. And they'll say these people have no control over their mental illness. But that's not true. These people, they do have control over their insanity. And praise God, there's hope for them because they can choose to stop. Praise God, there is hope. They can choose to become normal and they can choose to stop being fools. And these people promoting this mental illness, it's interesting, they all tend to be leftists. You, you rarely see you know, diehard Republicans promoting this. They tend to be leftists, and leftists, the reason for that is leftists, they tend to hate reality, and they always try to create their own new reality, which is why we end up with this nonsense as always. But these people tend to be leftists, and a big leftist talking point that they love to talk about is empowerment. And they say girls prostituting themselves out and embracing insanity is empowering. They say pretending that men can get pregnant is empowering. And they say that accepting your, your flaws is empowering. And they say living with your problems is empowering. Going and sleeping around, uh, around and getting gonorrhea, that's empowering. And getting pregnant and then killing your own kid, that's empowering. That's, that's what the left loves to say. They love to talk about this empowerment. And it's all a lie. It's not true. It's a lie. It's a lie they know to be a lie. It's a lie made in bad faith. And there's not much more commentary that needs to be given on that. It's just a lie, plain and simple. It's not empowering. But I do have a message which is genuinely empowering, which genuinely is is good to hear. It, it is empowering, which I want to spread, and I'll use my platform to, to do that. You have control over yourself, and there aren't cosmic forces that are restraining you and forcing these problems onto you. You have control over yourself, and that is empowering, right? The definition of empowering is to give someone the authority or power to do something or to make someone stronger and more confident, especially in controlling their life and claiming their rights. And I quite literally am saying you have the authority and power to change yourself. You are strong enough to control your life. Yeah, I'm hateful. I'm controlling. I'm erasing. And they're actually the ones who are all empowering. Their message, their message is you have no control and you're, you're forced to be this way and you have no choice. You have to do this. And apparently that's more empowering than what I'm saying here. And, you know, speaking of empowering, a news bombshell dro dropped last week in the mental health field that has flipped the, in air quotes here, it has flipped the scientific field on its head. And The Guardian, they put out this headline, little evidence that chemical imbalance causes depression 
UCL scientists find. And this is a massive headline that is absolutely wild, and we're going to talk about it here. But first, I'd like to remind you, speaking of empowerment, someone is coming to town hoping to empower you, yes, you, hoping to empower and equip you to be a voice for the unborn. That's right, Seth Gruber is coming to town. Seth is a compelling and passionate voice for the unborn. Seth Gruber is reaching all generations and is help changing the way that our country thinks about and interacts with abortion. Seth has been featured by World Magazine, the American Family Association, the Christian Research Institute, Christianity Today, Life Site News, Live Action News, Students Life for America, and National Radio Broadcasts. He is the son of a Pregnancy Resource Center director. Seth Gruber was raised in the pro-life movement and has been speaking publicly on behalf of the unborn since the age of 19. He has spoken across the U.S. educating and equipping pro-life advocates to be a gracious and persuasive voice for unborn children. Seth travels and speaks in Protestant and Catholic high schools, churches, pro-life training seminars, and for pregnancy resource banquets. He engages in academic debate and blog and writes as a cultural and political commentator. And Seth, actually, he's the host of a podcast, Unaborted. And so I highly recommend you guys come out to check out Seth Gruber. And this will be at Colorado Christian University, August 6th at 6. Wait, let me let me double check that. At 5 p.m., not 6 p.m., at 5 p.m. And this is an event being hosted and promoted by Colorado Right to Life. I plan on going, and I hope to see you there. All right, now, while Seth wants to empower you by teaching you to speak out for the unborn, I want to empower you right here on this show over depression. And so this, this new study that The Guardian put out that The Guardian reported on, rather. Little evidence that chemical imbalance causes depression, UCL scientists find. And this is one thing we're told over and over again. Depression is caused by a chemical imbalance, and you need to take antidepressants, and you'll still be depressed, but it might be a little bit better. And I've always hated when people have said that. I've always hated that. Just too bad. So sad. You're, you're depressed. There's nothing you can do about it. Just buy our pills and go home. And also you should buy our pills again later and make sure you keep buying our pills. Did I mention you should keep giving us money for these antidepressants? And it's a very defeatist attitude. The science, air quotes there, has said for the past 15 years, if you are depressed, it's because you have a chemical imbalance. And a lot of people spread that idea around. And a big problem with it is that no one knows what the correct balance even looks like. They just know if you're depressed, it's because you have an imbalance. And that's for sure. We know that. And what is the what is the balance supposed to be? Well, we have no clue. But we know if you're depressed, it's because of an imbalance. And that's the science we're told, or at least we were we have been told for the past 15 years until this study came out. And I have various friends who have depression, and they often ask me for advice, and I, I give them, you know, my thoughts. And they tell me about this chemical imbalance, and I've always said something along the lines of, yeah, you know, it's real and it's it's a setback, but you have to do what you can to overcome your setbacks. And, you know, I'm not a big believer in the victim mentality that there's nothing you can do to improve your situation. And 
So I wish I would have been more firm and just said, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. That's not real. And just continued with my advice. So I wish I would have been more firm and confident in my beliefs. And I, I can be now, uh, but this study, it reveals that depression is not linked with low serotonin levels, which is really pretty intuitive when you think about it. I'm grateful this study so clearly and articulately shows that, but it is pretty intuitive. Serotonin, by the way, that's a happy chemical, so to speak. You could call it that. You could call it one of the, the two happy chemicals. And when you do something successfully, your body releases serotonin. And that's the same with dopamine. When you do something good, your brain produces dopamine. And some things release and produce these chemicals like wildfire. For example, smoking weed. And that's why a nickname for weed is dope, because it releases dopamine, extremely high amounts of dopamine. And that's why people enjoy getting high. And the same is true with video games, right? You beat the level and you get a rush of dopamine. That's why weed and video games are so addictive. You get this rush of happiness. And what's interesting is the more and more dopamine you get, the bigger and a bigger of a hit you need to reach that previous level of happiness. So dopamine and serotonin, it follows the law of diminishing return. And that's why people who play a ton of video games and smoke a lot of pot, they're so often depressed because they're constantly seeking out that bigger and bigger dopamine hit and it just won't come. And when it does come, it's just not as impactful as it used to be. And, you know, that, that's something that's been obvious and we've known it for a long time. But God, when he designed us in his glory and brilliance, he designed us to get these chemicals after doing something productive. For example, when you complete a project at work, dopamine. When you finish a workout, you get testosterone. When you go for a bike ride, serotonin, right? But the problem is with video games and weed and what have you, the more and more you do these things, the more and more chemicals you will need to reach those previous highs. And so when you do a project at work, when you go for a bike ride, when you finish a workout, if you're addicted to video games or weed or whatever it is, A, your body isn't producing as many of those chemicals. And so doing those productive things, it's not going to release those chemicals. And B, you don't react to those chemicals as much as you should. You don't react in a healthy way because they've been diluted by so much other stimulation. And with these antidepressants, uh, they just pump serotonin into you. And what do you know? Your body stops producing its own serotonin because the need is being met by an outside source. So the very antidepressants that claim to help with this chemical imbalance, we don't even know what the chemical imbalance is and what it should, what the balance should be like. But the very antidepressants that claim to help with that imbalance, they hurt that imbalance more than they help. And so... What do you know? It turns out they're not they're not useful. And they also hurt because they discourage other solutions that actually work. And solutions that work, what what are those? Well, if you suggest them, typically, and this is unfortunate, but typically you'll be met with disdain, 
which is sad. For example, there's the classic "you should go for a walk," right? That's that's advice that a lot of uh, a lot of depressed people have heard a lot, and that's typically met with, "Oh, I, I did that, didn't help." To uh, move on to the next thing, what's something else we can talk about? That that didn't work. I tried that. Yep, didn't work. Be like, "Oh, you're stupid. You don't understand depression." That's typically the response you will get if you suggest that if you're depressed, you should go on more walks. And it's like, well, yeah, of course it didn't help. You did it one time for 20 minutes and then went back to your video games. The wisdom contained in go for a walk, it's not that being outside has this fairy dust that makes you happy. That's not what it is. The wisdom is that you want to get away from the bad stimulants and restore the good stimulants. And so is going for a walk, is that going to be as fun as a video game? Well, no, it's not. You aren't going to have those dramatic dopamine hits. And now you will get out and you will start to reset. And the more and more you pull away from those from those bad sources of dopamine, the more and more you will appreciate the good ones. And the less and less dopamine it will take for you to have a positive reaction. Also, when people say, I've tried to go for a walk and it, it didn't work. Humans, generally speaking, and myself included, we have a bad habit of only wanting to hear the solutions that we want to hear. And go for a walk isn't one of them. And so we say, oh, I did that for weeks. And it, it turns out due to human nature, you did that four times one week about seven months ago and then haven't gone since. And you use that as a way to explain away an actual solution that you don't want to hear. And you convince yourself that you did go for weeks, even though you only went four time one week about seven months ago. But you're able to, you know, use that and twist it in your own mind and convince yourself that you did it for weeks and it didn't work. And or how about how about how about this one? This is the the famous Jordan Peterson one. Clean your room. That's great advice. That's a productive thing to do. I told one guy you should clean your room, and he said, Well, I, I can't clean my room. It's it's too difficult. And so I said, well, make your bed. Just just make don't even clean your room. Just make your bed. Just do that one. Oh, it's it's oh, it's too hard. And it's, and it's not going to work anyways. It's too hard. <laughs> I don't even know what to say at that point. At that point, it's just that's a, a disaster if you think that's too hard. Of course, it's not actually too hard. Or how about you should smile more? That's pretty good advice. That's a productive thing to do. Or get a job or start eating healthy or go to church or play sports or go to the gym or get some friends or go join a ministry, right? That advice is all really good advice. All of it, really, really good advice. It'll be met with disdain, but it's really good advice. But then it's people who don't want actual solutions who complain and say that those things don't work. Like eating better, you think eating better isn't going to improve your life? What are you, crazy? Of course, eating better is going to work. Of course, all of that stuff is going to help. And uh, just one or two of those things aren't going to work. But the idea is that you want to pull away from the bad stimulants and you want to actually get the healthy, good, productive stimulants, the stimulants that God designed us to have. And so the solution to depression, it's it's pretty simple and people, do people hate me for saying that? Well, yes, they do. But the solution is simple. 
Is it true? Yes, it is. And the solution is not to give up. It's not to go get welfare handouts and take antidepressants. That is not the solution. The solution is to do all those productive things and to stop doing all the horrible things. And why do people hate that answer? Well, there's a few reasons. Uh, one reason is that it's obvious. It's obvious, it's clear, and it's simple, but it's hard. It's hard to eat right. It's hard to go to the gym. It takes effort to make friends, and it takes effort to develop relationships. And it's easier to just say, oh, you know, that's, that's just too simplistic of a solution. It's just too simple. You just don't understand. And what, what they hate about it is that the solution is so doable. It's within their grasp and they still don't want to do it. So like that person who I said, you just make your bed. And he said, I can't do that. It's like, well, of course he can do that, but he just doesn't want to. Right. And it's within his grasp. So rather than saying, I, I, I'm not going to do it, they say, uh, I can't do it, and it's it's too much. And if something is well within your grasp and it's very doable and you still don't do it, well, that's embarrassing. And being embarrassed is uncomfortable. And so rather than being embarrassed, they'll just say, eh, it's it's just too simplistic. You don't understand depression. That's just, eh, that's just how it is. And if you want to talk about empowerment, right, that that's, that's that buzzword from the left again. You want an empowering message that is empowering saying here, are all the, all these steps you can take to overcome depression. That is empower that, that it is empowering. It is. So go and do it. It's not confusing. It's simple. It's, is it hard? Yeah, it's a little hard, but just go and do it. And you know, something bad comes along and knocks you down. So what? Everybody has that. No one has ever not had something bad happen in life, but not everyone is depressed. So if something bad comes along, knocks you down, just get back up and keep going, keep doing all the good things. And now I do want to know quickly here, I'm not talking, I, I am talking about depression here, which is slightly different from anxiety. Very often people have anxiety and anxiety, typically it has a pretty simple cure and the, the most simple cure to anxiety is dealing with it. I know that's, that's not uh, PC, but that typically is the cure for anxiety is dealing with it. Uh, but other times I, I will admit there are times where, you know, you have your life in order, you have a job, you have all this stuff, you have a good relationship with God, and you still have anxiety. And it seems that pills sometimes... Uh, you know, there's pills, pills to calm your nerves. And sometimes for anxiety, that can help. But I do want to say, even with anxiety, those pills should not be your first attempted solution. You should come to that last. You should try and get the rest of your life in order. Try and get, you know, have good family relationships, have a job, exercise, do all that stuff before resulting to the pills. And you know, if you do have your life in order and everything's, you know, your house is clean and all, you have all that stuff and you still feel anxiety at that point. Yeah. Try pills. And if you have everything else in order and then you try pills, I imagine that would help you pretty significantly, but not unless you've already gotten the rest of your life in order.
yeah, try and get your life in order before going to pills always. But one last piece of advice on the depression front, and this is really, honestly, I got this advice when I was pretty young, and I think this is the best piece of advice for overcoming depression. Stop thinking about yourself. Stop thinking about yourself, right? You need food in your belly and hygiene, and that, that's pretty important. But aside from that, Stop thinking about yourself. The more you can pull your focus off of yourself and the more you can think about, about others and serving others, and that's why jobs are so great, you're serving others, the more you can do that, the better. So think about others, but more so than just others is think about God and keep your mind on him, serve him, read his book and honor him. And then of course, do right and risk the consequences. Hey, this is Dominic Enyar. I hope you enjoyed that show. If you want to support us here at KGOV.com, KGOV.com, remember that we do five shows a week on Monday. We have our Bob Enyar Live broadcast classics on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. My show, The Dominic Enyar Show. On Thursdays, we have Theology Thursday from the late, great Bob Enyar. And then on Fridays, we have Real Science Radio with Fred Williams. If you want to support us, consider sharing these shows and catching us every weekday. And I also want to encourage you to go to the store. Go to kgov.com. Click on the store make a donation, purchase a product. You could even sponsor a show. But one of the most awesome things you can do is sign up for one of our monthly subscriptions and you get the best, most educational and fun content there is on the market. You also get to help us stay on the air here. And that is such a blessing. So if you at all can help, go to kgov.com and click on the store. Hey, may God bless you guys.